pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open and receptive, that we would truly take it to heart. And God, that there would be a willingness on our part to act on what we hear today. I ask you this in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody who agrees with that said, Now, you know when you say amen, you're committing yourself to it. Because amen means so be it in my life. So let me just, this is for free. Don't say amen to anything you don't mean. Because God will hold you accountable for that. That, that's for free. Today, we are, uh, I want to talk to you about making decisions. And we read in Proverbs 3, 5 through 8, and that is a great passage of Scripture to know. How many are familiar with Proverbs 3, 5 through 8? Okay, cool. How many have it memorized? Fewer that... Okay. Great Scripture to know. Okay. It's not only important to know, but it's important to memorize. But more than that, it's more important to meditate on it. To think about what it actually means in our life. When Joshua was taking over for Moses, I I can't help but imagine that he wasn't super excited about the idea because he knew the people that he was supposed to lead. He also knew that he was going to face great difficulties as he led those people. And in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And in our culture, I don't know of anyone that doesn't want to be prosperous and successful. But we need to be prosperous and successful in spiritual matters more than material matters. That's why when we think about these scriptures in Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll make your pathway straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil because it will be healing to your flesh and nourishment to your bones. Good verses of Scripture, but we need to apply those. So when we think about making decisions, there's basically three ways that we make those decisions. And the decisions we make, number one, minor decisions. This morning when you woke up, you made a bunch of minor decisions. What you were going to eat, what you were going to wear, what time you were planning on being at church, all of those types of things. Activities you were going to participate in today. Important decisions, but not critical things. Some major decisions that we might have involved ourselves with is where are we going to go to school? What type of school? What type of studies are we going to look into? Where are we going to work? How how are we going to make a living? Um, And we talk about finances. Where do we invest our money? And how many know that's always a questionable thing in the days in which we live? But those are some major decisions that we make. And then there are life-changing decisions. When we choose to get married, that's a life-changing decision. Who we marry is life-changing. Because if we do it on a scriptural basis, you're doing it for the rest of your life. Gosh, it's quiet. When you have children, it's life-changing. How many of life been changed by your kids? And you're happy with all of those changes. Okay. Anyway, um, so that, that comes into play. The most important is when we receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That changed everything. And it changes throughout our lifetime. 
You know, Paul said, I, I'm convinced of this one thing, that he who started a good work in you is going to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So don't give up on yourself because God hasn't given up on you. Hallelujah. He is at work in us in doing that. The other thing that is very critical for this body of believers is the selection of your new pastor. Because that can be life-changing for some people. And again, that's why this passage in Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 is so important. So when we think about all the choices that we make to decide something means to solve or conclude a question. To solve or conclude a controversy or a struggle. To determine or settle a matter. You know, something that is in dispute or doubt. And so what I want to remind us of this morning is that God is omniscient. He has complete, unlimited knowledge of all the facts, all of the details about the life of this church. We can trust Him in the process of pastoral selection. Now, I I may step on some toes this morning, but I'm a one-time wonder, so I'll be gone and you can get mad at whoever. When it comes to pastoral selection, let me encourage you to pray for the pastoral selection committee. Don't just sit back and think, well, I hope they pick somebody good. There's mutual accountability and responsibility for who you select to be your next pastor. So pray for them, encourage them, and it's something that each and every one of you can do. So when it comes to that, remember that God knows all things, beginning to end, and you can trust Him. How many of you trust God? For everything? How about for most things? How about 50% of the time? See, and this is where when we think about trusting the Lord and making decisions three ways. Let me give them to you real quick. Number one, you can make decisions based out of pressure. Somebody or something is pressuring you to make a choice. The second way is you do it out of pleasure. What feels good? What I like? And how many know all of our likes are different? The third way is priority. And so those are the three ways this morning I want us to think about making choices. Making decisions. The first one, pressure. Sometimes in our lives we are in situations or circumstance that we have felt pressure to make a decision. How many have been in that position where you've felt pressure? You've got to choose something. You, you, something's got to give. And so maybe it's a time pressure. I've got to make a decision about X because if I don't make the decision now, then time is going to be too late and I'm going to lose out or it's not going to work good. And so you just you, you pressure, well, I'll choose this. Sometimes that works. And then there are other times when making that decision out of pressure just doesn't do it. Circumstantial pressure that happens. Sometimes circumstances just push you in a direction where a decision has to be made because we have to move beyond this point uh, that we're dealing with now. And so, okay, so I'm going to make a choice and, 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 and here we go. We're, we're just, I'm going to hold my, it's like jumping off of a, of a cliff into a big pool of water. You just hold your breath and hope the water isn't too cold. The other type of pressure that we often face is people pressure. 
Someone is pushing your buttons to get you to make a decision. And you're not sure whether it's a right decision or not, but it's going to alleviate the pressure. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do it and I'll satisfy these people. Well, how many know if you satisfy this half, this half is going to be upset? Sometimes giving in to that type of pressure just doesn't do you much good at all. Uh, how many brought a Bible this morning? Awesome. We're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 15 going to take a look at some examples in Scripture about people making decisions based on pressure. And this morning we're going to take a look at King Saul. So in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we're going to read verses 2 and 3, then we're going to jump to verses 7 through 9, and then verses 20 to 24 and then 26. You go, man, how come we're all over the place? Because it's too long to read the whole thing. Okay, so I would encourage you to go back and read this chapter. But anyway, let's go ahead and and take a look at these verses in chapter first Samuel 15, starting at verse two. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them and they came up from Egypt. Now go and attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men, women, children, infants, cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. Pretty severe judgment. Down to verse 7. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Sur in the east of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with a sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle and the fat calves and the lambs and everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Let's go down to verse 20. Now this is where Samuel confronts King Saul about his lack of obedience. He said, But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites, and I brought back Agag their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God. And now here comes his spiritual excuse. In order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? So what does God delight in more? Obedience or sacrifice? Sometimes when we're pressured in making a choice, we make the wrong one because of the pressure and we end up disobeying the word of the Lord. It says to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination or witchcraft. And arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people, so I gave in to them. Verse 26, but Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. What what can we glean from this about King Saul? He had some weaknesses. Number one, his pride was one of his biggest weaknesses. 
when you read this in the chapter, he winds up building a monument to himself because of his victory over the Amalekites. God told him to destroy everything, but he brought King Agag back. Aren't you glad we're not naming our kids Agag today? Anyway, he brought, he brought King Agag back. Why did he do that? Because by bringing back the conquered king, he was able to show his people what a great leader, what a great warrior, what a great commander he was. In other words, his pride was going to be puffed up. So he saved the best of what he was supposed to destroy. And then the excuse was, well, we're going to use it for offerings. How I many of you know God sees right through your excuses? Generally, excuses only sound good to the person giving them. I did what the Lord said. No, you didn't. And look at the consequence of what he faced because he gave in to pressure. He said, we brought back the best because my soldiers were pressing me not to destroy them. So now instead of this religious excuse, now he's blaming his soldiers who pressure. Oh, King Saul, we can't destroy these. These are the best. We can get a good return on these. We can use it for all kinds of stuff. So it was people pressure that caused King Saul to fail. His own pride and the pressure of others. Friends, sometimes we make decisions based on what other people think rather than what God has said. And any time you give in to people pressure, you're giving in to the trap of the enemy and the destruction that it will bring. Proverbs 29:25 says this, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. See, God knows everything that we don't know. And it's God's command that keeps us safe from giving in and making choices based on pressure. Church, don't feel pressure and be in a hurry to select a new pastor. Let God tell you who that new pastor is supposed to be. Because just we got to hurry up and get a pastor. No, you don't. Sooner is better than later, but don't give in to pressure. we got to elect somebody. So maybe this person, or they said, that, hear the voice of God about who His choice is for this church, and you will be prosperous and successful in the ministries this church has. Give in to pressure, and in a little while you'll be back at the same thing going over it again. And that's not healthy for a congregation. Thank you. <laughs> All right, number two, making decisions based out of pleasure. Now, I, I, let me just say this God's not opposed to pleasure and enjoyment. How many know that? God's not opposed to pleasure and us enjoying what He's created. But if we're going to do that, we need to make sure that it's in the boundaries that God has set. In Second Timothy, I mean, excuse me, First Timothy, chapter six and verse seventeen, he, Paul is writing to him. He says, "Now the people that are well off in this world, don't let it go to their head. But I want to do this: have them put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment." God is the author of life, and He wants us to enjoy life within the boundaries that He has set. Where trouble comes when we try and do it outside of the boundaries God has set. But remember, obedience is better than 
sacrifice. So we need to be aware of that. So making decisions out of pleasure can lead to real problems because of self-centeredness, what you would like, what your preference is. And, and can I say this? One bad choice based on pleasure will always lead you to more bad choices. And, and I want us to take King David as an example. So let's go to Second Samuel. Second Samuel chapter 11. And we'll read verses 1 through 5 here. It says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab with the king, king's men, and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rahab, but David remained in Jerusalem. Problem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. He came to him, or she came to him, and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanness. Then she went back home, and the woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. David made some choices based on pleasure. Number one, he should have been with his army. It was a time when kings go out to war. But he felt comfortable with Joab, his, his general, and you guys go out and you fight and I'll stay here and you guys just send me messages every now and again how the war is going and I'll be good. So one day he, he gets up, maybe from his afternoon rest, and he walks out on the roof enjoying the evening, looks down and he sees Bathsheba. So not only did he choose to stay home when he should have been with his army out of his own pleasure, now he sees a woman who's naked and bathing, and instead of turning away, he stares. How many know the same trap is available today on computers? And nothing that is done in secret will remain in secret. Scripture tells us the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, the evil and the good, and one day we'll all have to give an account for everything that we've done. So it's good to pay attention. So he should have been with his army. Now he should have turned away from watching a woman bathing and it led to him calling her into his palace and committing adultery. And the real problem is found in Matthew chapter 5. Let me just turn there real quick. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. Jesus said, you have heard it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, the adultery that was in David's heart now turned into action because he was making decisions based on pleasure rather than on the truth of God's word. And in that action, one bad choice led to another bad choice which was to have her husband murdered by the sword of the enemy that he was supposed to be fighting. And you can go ahead and read through the passage in Samuel and see how he did that. And so David set up going, well, I don't want to be found out as an adulterer and I don't want her to be found out as an adulteress because the law had severe penalties for that. So he brought Uriah back home, 
And that didn't work, so he had him killed. And now he is being confronted with his own bad choices. And Nathan, the prophet, is confronting him in his own palace about his own sin. So his choice to please himself caused great pain. And when you read the effects of what happened because of that, his whole family was negatively impacted. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Verses 9 through 11. It says, Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing this evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house. Because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household I am going to bring calamity upon you. Severe judgment because David was making choices out of pleasure. Not only did the baby die. And you can read the story about his family and the destruction. And his own son tried to overthrow him and have him killed. And it, isn't it interesting that Satan will always point you to the pleasure without mentioning the pain of the consequences of your choices? Point out the pleasure, but he won't tell you about the consequences. And yet consequences can't be avoided. So again, you know, it, it's interesting. You always bait a trap with what the prey desires. And the enemy has been around long enough to know human nature. And he learns by observation, so he knows our weak points, our our pleasure points, if you please, that will cause us to go into sin if we're not keeping a close eye on our heart and living and dealing with the choice of God's Word being our pathway. See, because we can sing about obedience, but it takes work to be obedient. We can sing about surrender, Oh, I surrender all. And that's, that's easy to sing. But what happens when God touches the thing dearest to you and says, give that up? So you see, that's when the struggle comes in. So David, if he would have gone out with his army, he would have never seen Bathsheba. If he hadn't seen Bathsheba, he wouldn't have committed adultery. If he hadn't committed adultery, he couldn't plot a murder. And if he didn't try and cover up the murder, God wouldn't have had to confront him in front of everybody. On Judgment Day, I'm asking God for a private showing. But thanks be to God that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. That the power of sin is broken. We're no longer slaves to sin. But now we're sons and daughters of God with the power of the Holy Spirit to give us the ability to live overcoming. You see, there's no temptation that has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. And He will always provide a way of escape so you can bear up underneath the temptation and be able to get away from it. James tells us, submit to the Lord, then resist the devil and he will flee from you. Biggest problem many of us have is we don't submit first. We just think, if I just resist hard enough. How many of you have ever tried resisting hard enough and still blown it? But see, when we're submitted to God and His Word, then God gives us the ability to overcome that sin. Don't make decisions solely based on what feels good to you or what seems right or this is what I like. 
yield yourself to God and let God tell you what's right and follow Him rather than asking God to follow you. Third level. I haven't been keeping track of time, so... They said if I'm done by four, I'm okay. So, all right. All right. Third level, priority. Making decisions based on what is right, what is proper, and what is according to the Word of God. See, when we receive Jesus Christ as Lord, our priorities change. Well, let me say this. When we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, our priorities begin to change. And they will continue to change throughout your life as you walk with the Lord. Because God leads us in a way that is beneficial for us because we change little by little. First, you've got to recognize what's wrong before you can fix what's wrong. I assume that we all looked in a mirror at some point this morning. So... Bed hair went away and you wet it, combed it, you did whatever to make yourself look presentable for each and one of us, which we're all thankful for. But we need God to clean us from the inside out. Scripture tells us, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's why this book is so critical. You know, some years ago, and I'm getting a little off track here, so please bear with me. Some years ago, God challenged me about memorizing Scripture. How many, how many memorize Scripture? How many attempt to memorize Scripture? How many have given up on trying to memorize Scripture? Because there's a spectrum all the way through there. But one time God was, He said, George, you, you've changed my word. And I go, how did I do that? He said, you have written, your word have I hidden in my concordance so I can find it in a hurry. He says, but I want you to start memorizing Scripture and hiding it in your heart so that you won't sin against me. See, because think of it this way. If every, some of you have your Bibles on your phone, some of you have them on your computer, some actually still carry one of these old-fashioned things. But if all of that went away, how much of God's Word would you know? You see, what you've hidden in your heart through memorization will be that which the Holy Spirit calls upon to deliver you from the clutches of the evil one. So memorize Scripture. Anyway, back to priority. So making decisions on what was right and proper. Uh, the best example I could find in Scripture is Jesus Christ. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Here's a challenge. Do we have that same attitude? Are we looking for what the church can do for us? Or are we look if I can kind of borrow from John Kennedy a few years back, are we looking for what the church can do for us or are we looking at what I can do for the church? Because the church isn't buildings and chairs. The church is the people you attend with all the time. So we need to be willing to serve one another. Matter of fact, in Psalm 40 and verse 8, it was written about the Lord. It says, I desire to do your will, O my God, your law is within my heart. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 5 and verse 7, it says, When Christ came into the world, He said, Here am I. I have come to do Your will, O God. Friends, doing the will of God should be our highest priority. 
Can, can I say that again? Doing the will of God should be our highest priority. And in some religious circles today, they almost make you think that your priority should be God's will. And that's backwards. So if we're going to make decisions based on priority, we've got to do it according to the Word of God. We have to do it in, in obedience to God's Word. Remember, obedience is better than sacrifice. So if we walk in obedience to God's Word, we can be confident that we're going in the way that God wants us to be. We're going to have the results that God wants us to have. We're going to be prosperous and successful. The ministries of the church can do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or imagine if you're walking in obedience to God. If you're crying out for God, we want your will for whoever the next pastor is going to be. I pray for the board. I pray for the uh, committee that's making that choice. When they meet with someone or they talk with someone, God... Don't let it be based on pressure. Don't let it be placed on pleasure. Let it be according to your priority for this church. You want a pastor who's going to tell you the truth? Who's going to lead you in righteousness? Who's going to have a God-sized vision for this community? Now, I know it's been difficult the last several years with pastors and coming-ins and going and all that, but God has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let your confidence be based and resting upon Him. You see, to do the will of God, you have to live obedient to His Word. And because of Jesus' obedience to the Father, we can be forgiven. How many glad you're forgiven? Hallelujah. How many glad God has cleansed you? Amen. How many God has accepted you? And not just accepted you, but He's allowed you to be adopted as sons and daughters of God. Wow, can you imagine what it would be like when, when we're actually ushered into the very throne room of heaven and the multitude of all of those who have lived in faith before us, we join with Him to sing and praise the One who redeemed us from the pit. Hallelujah. Okay, let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Starting at verse 1, we'll read through verse 11. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort of His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then, be, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and one purpose. All right, put on your seatbelts. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look to your own interest, but the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being the very nature God did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." 
Aren't you thankful for Jesus' obedience? So here's some questions I want to close with. What's the will of God for your life? Have you asked? Or are you just assuming? I think God has greater things for us than we've ever even thought about asking. So what's the will of God for a Christian Life Center? Well, we need a new pastor. Okay, agreed. What kind of pastor? Well, here's my thoughts. What are God's thoughts? Here's my desires. Well, what's God's desires? You see, I think if we can somehow or another get ourselves out of the way and ask God for His wisdom for the board, for the pulpit committee, for the church family, then Proverbs 3, 5, and 8 really becomes something real. I'm trusting in the Lord with all of my heart. I'm not leaning on my own understanding. In all of my ways, I'm acknowledging Him, and I know He will make the pathway straight. I'm not going to be wise in my own eyes. I'm going to fear the Lord and turn away from evil because that will be healing to my flesh and nourishment to my bones. And God is the author of life and He wants new life springing up in Christian life. It's a matter of where we focus our attention. So I know I, I looked at the what's going on today and guys, while you're meeting to talk about such things, I'll be praying for you. That God will lead you and guide you and direct you. Okay, I, I'm, I'm continuing to close with one more passage of Scripture. Acts chapter 13. And in Acts 13, 2 and 3. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Two things real quick out of that passage. I want to encourage you to fast and pray for whom God has for this church. Once God has made that clear to you and that pastor comes, continue to fast and pray as you anoint him to be your leader and let God lead him and you will all be blessed. Because one thing is for certain, no pastor is perfect. And there's no perfect church. But together, if you follow the perfect one, you'll be okay. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer. If you guys want to come up, worship team. Father, Thank you for speaking to our hearts today. God, that as we make decisions, we do it based on priority, living in obedience to your word, not being pressured by circumstance or other people, not being pressured by our own desires, but God, hearing your voice through Your written Word, through Your Holy Spirit as You speak. So, Lord, I pray Your richest blessing upon this church, upon this congregation, upon everyone who is here today. God, that each and every one of us would determine that when we make a decision, it's not going to be based on pressure. It's not going to be based on pleasure. 
that is going to be based on Your Holy Word and in Your leading Holy Spirit. So God, I pray for the leadership here today. Give them confidence in You. Help them hear Your voice. That Your name would be glorified in this church from this day forward. And we ask You this in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone who agreed with that said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for allowing me to come and share with you today.